Putting on a different hat, I will be bringing the message this morning as well. This uh, past three days, Linda and I took a couple of days off and we went down to visit my parents. It was dad's 91st birthday on Friday and so we went down and we went out to eat a couple of times because, you know, that's what we do. And we talked to each other and hung out and drank a lot of coffee and uh, some water, but probably not enough water, and I probably should have cut back on coffee. But that's neither here nor there because I'm not wound up tight this morning. I, I only had three or four cups before coming today. So I'm only 48 ounces in, so we're good. Um, as, as I was going to sleep on Thursday night, it had been that kind of a pleasant evening. We had driven down. The traffic was great until uh, we made a choice. There was a four-minute difference in going to visit my parents in Chesapeake between taking the Monitor Merrimack Tunnel and taking the Hampton Roads Bridge Tunnel. And I prefer, and, and when it says that on Waze, you say, okay, I prefer the Hampton Roads Bridge Tunnel, or I prefer, whatever you prefer, you can prefer it. I prefer the Hampton Roads Bridge Tunnel. So we go on past where we would turn off to get on the Mer Monitor Merrimack Tunnel. And uh, sure enough, it wasn't going to be just four minutes. Once we were past the point of no return, we stopped in traffic. The kind of stopping where you could get out and you could do some clogging on the side of the road <laughs> and, uh, you know, talk to your neighbors, wonder what's going on. I, I've never met you before, but, uh, you know, I'm James Henry. I'm just wandering around, and I thought I'd meet you and greet you. And you know, why are you rolling up your window? What's, uh, you know, uh, that kind of a day. And so we got there late. But the funny thing was, I, I felt completely at peace normally about driving these days. I, I know that sounds completely unlike me. Those of you who have known me for the long period of time have been at St. James. So I don't no longer, traffic no longer bothers me. It's just another moment in time that I can let go. Good practice. So we got to mom and dad's and we were all quite hungry and some of us had to utilize facilities before we could go anywhere else, it was very important. Um, and so we did, and we got in the car and we went to a new diner that they had discovered. Oftentimes we fall into patterns, we went to two totally different restaurants while visiting them. But that's still not part of the story. So we went to dinner, we came back, we had a pleasant conversation and we went to bed. And there was just something about that day that really spoke to my heart. Now, I have a practice as I lay in bed and go to sleep at night. Um, I have several different prayers and then 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, that I repeat to myself as I'm falling asleep as a way of sort of shaping the night as I enter it. You know, I, I, I don't have control over what's going to appear in my dreams, and I never have, and I never will, and that's okay. Um, but I, I want to shape the thoughts that are going into the time when I'm about to sleep. And, and as I was saying the welcoming prayer, if you don't know the welcoming prayer, you can look it up online if you want to, but I, I was identifying in my own life, it's a, it's a way of letting go. You know, I welcome everything that comes to me because it's for my healing. You know, so ways that I've been reminded of who I was as a child that I was always kind of regretful of or thought was, you know, uh, inappropriate. Um, I, I let go and I move on in the welcoming prayer. And so, you know, and then you let go of power and control. 
and then you declare your intent to let go of affection, esteem, approval, and pleasure. But you don't need those things, uh, you, your desire for those things. And then you let go of your desire for survival and security because those are all illusions anyway. But the funny thing happened to me as I was slipping off into sleep is for the first time, words that I heard from Thomas Merton, a 20th century contemplative, about wanting to be lost in God's face. He, he writes in New Seeds of Contemplation, the desire to be lost in God's face, just to be lost, to just know that you're part of all that's happening. And as I was slipping off into sleep, I felt as if I were slipping into God's face for the first time in my life. And it became something other than reading Thomas Merton's talking about the desire. And it became a reality, something I experienced. So I want to share with you a passage um, I'm going to tie that into where we're going today. Uh, behind me, you'll say, wait a second, didn't he talk about from Jesus to now last week? I did. But this is part two. You're like, oh no. There were seven theories last week. Will there be a test? Is that what this is going to be about? No, there's not going to be a test. Although, anyone can have extra credit if they can repeat to me all, no, no extra credit. You don't need extra credit. You've already passed because God already loves you. I want to share with you a, a piece of what um, Paul wrote to the letter in his letter to the Colossians. Um, this is the hymn about Christ's work. At least that's subtitled in the first chapter beginning in verse 15. The sun is the image of the invisible God the one who is first over all creation. Because all things were created by him, both in the heavens and on the earth, the things that are visible and the things that are invisible, whether they are thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He existed before all things, and all things are held together in him. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the one who is the firstborn from among the dead, so that he might occupy the first place in everything. Because all the fullness of God was pleased to live in him, and he reconciled all things to himself through him, whether things on earth or in heaven, he brought peace to us through Christ and the blood of his cross. The sun is the image of the invisible God. You know, there are a lot of things I, I've been thinking about as we've been working through the Universal Christ series. And last week, we talked about all these theories about who Christ is. You know, what did he come to do? You know, was, it, was his coming about death? was his coming, uh, you know, because the church has believed variously over the last 2,000 years that it had something to do with he came to overcome death, that he came to overcome sin, 
that he came to overcome ignorance. So, uh, you know, ignorance of who God really is. So we could see in him what God really looks like. So the church over the last 2,000 years, I gave you the seven major theories. Tim noted to me that there was a sub-theory that happened in the first two centuries that I skipped. You know, uh, Irenaeus and recapitulation, which we're not going into now, but just so you know, I, I skipped that one. I'm sorry. There could be eight major theories if you want. Um, but I want us to get beyond theory. Because to me, what's most important about our faith is not the theories we have about Christ. Last week I told you, have whatever theory you want to. If you want him to be a ransom for your sin, just let Jesus be the ransom for your sin because God doesn't care what your theory is because it's a theory. <laughs> God wants to know you. God wants to love you. God wants you to say yes. So if the way you're going to say yes is to get your sins ransomed away by Jesus, by all means, he's your ransom. <laughs> if you want him to be Christ victor, Christus Victor, the one who is victorious over sin and death and ignorance, by all means, if you want him to be Dawn dishwashing detergent that pushes away all immorality and makes things clearer, by all means, that works for me too. Choose the theory that works for you, but know that in the end, a theory is just a way of saying in the best way our limited, tiny little pea brains in here can begin to understand the infinite infinite. It's a gateway. And if that gateway works for you, I want you to use that gateway. And if the gateway stops working for you, don't be so stuck in the gateway that you can't find another way. Talk to somebody. Come talk to me. Talk to Tim. Talk to someone and say, you know, I had that Christus Victor thing going on. It's not working for me anymore. What you got? Well... Let me tell you a little bit about Anselm. Oh, no. No, okay. You can. I mean, if it works for you, by all means. Let me tell you a little bit about, you know, total depravity. Maybe this works for you. If that works for you, by all means. It's not Methodist, but it is Calvinist. And if it works for you, by all means, go for it. Uh, the truth is, these theories are merely theories. Because God, what God wants from you is your heart. God wants you to know him, not about him. Now, I would just tell you, I have been married for almost 28 years now. I've known Linda for 28 years, but I haven't been married to her quite for 28 years yet. And in those 20 years, 28 years, I've had theories about Linda. <laughs> I'll just tell you right now, I had some theories about Linda. I, in the beginning, the theory was, she is just way too direct for me. <laughs> I like these games that we play when I'm dating people and we're talking around in circles and I don't know what we're talking about. And they could be, you know, multi. You know, when Linda says to me directly, by the way, while we're working on an important paper about third, the, the ethics of third world debt, that we jointly did a paper, you know, and who falls in, falls in love to the ethics of third world debt? Linda and I did. You know, uh, thanks, Algar. Uh, you know, my professor who said, you should work with Linda Patterson. And who said to Linda Patterson, you should work with James Henry. And the next thing you know. So we're sitting there, and Linda said, so, James, how do you feel about me? 
you don't ask that question. I don't care how long you have known me. Don't ask me how I feel about you. I love you all, by the way. I just think you're terrific. So you said that. And so I said the first thing that came to my mind. I value our relationship, Linda. I, I've, I haven't always been an epic failure, but when I epically fail, I can do it big time. And Linda, without missing a beat, looks directly in my eyes, and she says to me, what the heck is that supposed to mean? <laughs> now you see, anyone else I had dated in the entire previous period of time, you know, would have said to me, oh, this is our last date, but you know, that's okay. Uh, she wouldn't have, they wouldn't have said that out loud. They might have thought it. Or they might have thought, oh, it's so nice to be valued in a relationship. That was not Linda's response. What the heck do you mean by that? And so then I had to put in words um, everything I thought. So I think for three hours then, we sat and talked about life and who I was and how much I loved her. And it was risky. And it was scary. And all the theories I had about Linda were gone, at least for that moment, because deer in the headlight took over. You know, the amygdala and fear response. <laughs> you know, as I tried to sneak out of the room but the headlight was, you know, shining bright. We started dating seriously. I, I went off and did my deacon's orders, which in those days was the first step towards becoming an elder, which I am now. It's not anymore. I did all that kind of stuff, and we got married eventually, you know, February of 1992, and, you know, I've been married ever since, and trying to figure out, Linda, there's always a theory, and you test your hypotheses by, you know, experiment. You know, so I would try experiments, say certain things at dinner, see what happens. Let me just tell you, theories will only take you so far. And if they'll only take me so far in my relationship with Linda, how far do you think they're going to take me in my relationship with God? Well, you know, not really very far. They, they give me a bridge to understand the infinite. But in the end, the infinite is a mystery. Now, a lot of people say, oh, James, great. You've used that word. You know what that word is? That's a cop-out word. That's like when you said, I value your our relationship. I value, our, I value your relationship. I value the relationship. I value any relationship. I value getting out of the room as quickly as possible, whatever. You know, it's a cop-out to say mystery because mystery means unknowable. And that is not what it means. It means it's infinitely knowable. It means from this side, it looks like this. And from here, it looks a little bit like this. And over here, it looks a little bit different. It's like if you hold a diamond up to the light and you move it around. Each facet catches the light in a slightly unique and different way. God is a mystery because God is infinitely knowable. No one theory is ever going to capture God. You could have all seven and hold all seven theories all at the same time. Do it if you want to try. You cannot really intellectually hold them all together at the same time. But if you want to try, go ahead because 
Somebody has to be smart enough to do that, I guess. But they all are successions of each other in different ways of understanding what God's all about because in the end, we can't quite get the whole picture. Because God is infinite and we are finite. We are limited. And so we catch a glimpse. And the glimpse is worth every moment. That's what happened to me on Thursday night as I lay in bed next to my wife who was slipping off into sleep. She was probably asleep by that point. None of the telltale signs. She was not moving anymore, so I'm pretty sure she was asleep. But maybe she was having a mystical experience too. I don't know. And she'll tell me about it later on. Well, James, you were lost in the face of God? I was lost in the face of God too. No. Okay, there was a signal. That was not happening. I was just trying to breathe through my allergies. <laughs> That's pretty much, see, there we go. I knew exactly what was going on. But I was lost in God's face, and I knew what that felt like. Have you, have you ever fallen in love? I mean, fallen deeply in love, out of control in love, love where you no longer feel like you have any control that love, when someone asks the question, how do you feel about me? And you say, I value our relationship. <laughs> and you realize that you've been caught like a deer in the headlight. And you don't just value the relationship. And that it's going to take a real risk, but you're going to actually open up and say what you really feel. Now, if you've been burned enough times in life, and I have both been burned in relationships before I met Linda and burned others in relationships before then. I'm not saying that because I'm proud of it. I'm just saying it because it's a fact. I, I don't suspect that I ever burned a relationship so badly that someone never, ever got into another relationship. But the truth is you get burned enough times, you, you think, how, how dare? I, I, why am I going to tell somebody I love them? Because they might just spit it back in my face. And then I'll be hurt yet again. I want to tell you that it is risky to fall in love with God. It's risky. Because you don't know what's going to happen from falling in love with God. You don't know what's going to happen. Because when the world starts to open up, when the universe starts to open up, when you start seeing Christ everywhere you go, doesn't happen to me all the time. I, I can't figure out why it happens often on Sunday morning except that I'm in the presence of Christ. This is one of those moments when I'm looking out and I see all these reflections of Christ all around me. In each one of you, and I know most of you, I see some reflection of God's glory. And it just comes through you in these little tiny facets like a diamond. And the reason we need so many facets is because God is infinite. And we are finite. And each one of us is like a little facet on the diamond that catches the light just uniquely. Bends it just that one way. There will be no one ever who bends the light like me again. Nor has there ever been before. Only me. And for each one of you, the same is true. God made each one of you to bend the light in a unique way to express the eternal goodness of the God we serve. 
Now, that's my theory about God, and it works for me. But it's just a theory until I see it in your faces, and then I know it's not a theory. Let me tell you the worst thing about theology and talking about God. It's words. You say, what do you mean? I mean that when you really fall in love, there were simply not words that I knew how to say to Linda. That word love gets used all the daggone time, and in the end, you can't figure out whether we're talking about Ferraris or, you know, uh, new faster computers or my Apple Watch, which is now a year old, so it's an Apple Watch 4, so it's not really that good. I'm not that love with it anymore. I need to love a Series 5, you know, the always-on version. You know, it's just, it's just not as good. We use love so often, we don't know what love is until we start to fall into the abyss. And we wonder when we're going to hit bottom. And is it going to be a hard hit? Or is it going to, with God, never reach the bottom? You know, for all the theories I've had about Linda in my lifetime, she surprises me every daggone day. 28 years and she surprises me. And she's a finite human being. What do you think about God? If you're not surprised by God every day, then chances are you're just not paying attention. Because the places you least expect to see that dude or dudette are neutral because God's beyond gender. Let's just be honest, God's beyond gender. In the least possible places you expect it, in an argument you're having about what you're giving out in the food pantry, it's never really an argument. It's more like a disagreement. No, you can't have the big box of cereal because you're a different size family than the big box of cereal. I'll just take the big box of cereal. <laughs> what about the people after them? Do I have to give them a big box of cereal? Uh, okay, you know, it's all theory. Until, you know, I screwed up the pantry system at LCAC. I didn't just admitted that out loud, so there you go. Um, I've never done that, honey, by the way. So don't worry. I only give out exactly what I'm supposed to give out. What your theory of God is, is what you think the meaning of God is. But in the end, God's meaning is made by God and God alone. Who God is, is made by God and God alone. And words are never enough. They're never enough. The deeper I fall in love with this God, the sometimes... I can say this, I'm not God, but I'm not other than God because God is in me and around me. That still doesn't make me God, but it still doesn't make me other than God either. But I'm not God, but I'm not other than God. And it just keeps sounding like a circular argument until you realize the two different pieces are the same story told from a different perspective. And that neither is right and neither is wrong. They're both right. And that a relationship with God is not about getting the right answers. If you thought there was going to be a test as you entered heaven, you know, there's just not going to be a test. Do you love? Are you loved by God? It's not going to be a test. I saw a meme this week shared by one of my high school teachers. 
it showed a guy showing up at the front door of heaven. You know, St. Peter is standing there. And the guy shows up, and he's wearing a Redskins jersey. And he said, you know, you're slated to go to hell, but you've already been through it as a Redskins fan, so welcome. You know, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm really sorry. I know Redskins fans have a tough life. I'm not one, so I don't know, but I talk to people. Uh, the truth is, it's all a theory until you really enter a relationship. And that's what God wants from you. God wants to be in relationship with you. So eventually you've got to get past all the theories that you've made about God that keeps God neatly boxed up and safe in a place you can control God. You know, God acts at this time, but doesn't act at this time. Okay, I've got that in my box. I know exactly how that's going to work. God really loves Republicans, hates Democrats. You know? Well, maybe not. Maybe God doesn't really care about political party because those are just theories of understanding the world in which we live. And God doesn't really care which one you are unless it causes you to behave in a fashion contrary to loving God. And then God's like, you got to choose me or your party. <laughs> but you don't get to have them both. You have to choose what it means and looks like feels like for you to love the eternal God. So seven theories or 70 theories or seven billion theories don't matter till you've met God face to face. So by all means, start with a theory because you have to start somewhere. But don't let ever let a theory about God stand between you and loving God knowing God, recognizing that the idea that you're separate from God was always an illusion, was always an illusion because in God you live and move and have your being. Sounds to me like there's no escape. No escape. That's what I got from this passage this week. Um, there was another little piece of a passage I was going to share with you. I might just read it to you without any commentary. I know you find that hard to believe. Um, Although you have never seen him, you love him. Even though you didn't, don't see him now, you trust him. And so rejoice with a glorious joy that is too much for words. You are receiving the goal of your faith, your whole personhood, your whole personhood. This is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. I want to read it one last time as the final word. Although you've never seen him, although you've never seen him, you love him. Even though you don't see him now, you trust him and so rejoice with a glorious joy that is too much for words. You are receiving the goal of your faith, your total, whole personhood. What a gift. And it's yours. <laughs>